Recording live from the Lucky Number 7 Lounge in the basement of Dine Drink Travel World Headquarters, this is Dine Drink Vegas, the podcast by and for everybody stuck at home, wishing they were in the land of neon lights and bad decisions. Welcome to our sweet 16th coming out party, episode 16, the F1 Blues, where we're going to shake it like America's grandma in a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader outfit. Thank you, Dolly, for that post-Thanksgiving show. My name's John, also known as the Baller on the Budget, and in this episode, we're going to break down our thoughts about F1, we're going to bring you the drink of the day, and update you on the Vegas news that we thought was interesting, but before we can get to any of that, we have to make a big introduction. Here he comes, the founder of Dine Drink Travel, the legendary high roller of the high plains, the legendary in the luxury lounge, the man whose intro I am butchering horrifically today, but he's still waiting for that limo to take him away to his resort, Bill. Hey, Bill. Hey, John. How are you doing? I'm good, and I am stone cold sober, but I sound like I'm not. But so we're about it's, to it's a that. holiday week, right? It's the Friday after Thanksgiving. Why are you stone cold sober? I, I had stuff to do today. That, okay. that required me to be sober. That's fair, but you don't have to say that way the whole time. Tell, tell me about the drink of the day. So the drink of the day today, because the episode is the F1 Blues, and so we wanted to think about Formula One racing, and we wanted to take a nod to a non-Vegas city that has an association with the sport, namely Monte Carlo. So today's beverage is the Monte Carlo. This is a variation on the Manhattan. I don't have the origins up in front of me because I did a bad job at research today, but we're going to assume it was either inspired uh, by the city in Europe or maybe by the former uh, Park MGM or who knows, some bartender just might have thought it was fancy, but this recipe consists of two ounces of rye whiskey, familiar to a Manhattan drinker, but instead of sweet vermouth, we've got a half ounce of Benedictine, which is an herbal liqueur that is not as intense and intimidating and sometimes to some off-putting as Jägermeister and a good heavy dash of Angostura. It is all shaken over ice and served uh, neat, preferably up in some fancy stemware, or if you're like us, just in a rocks glass. So... I'm enjoying this drink a whole lot. The what I don't know that our listeners know, I'm not a huge rye drinker. Like I drink a lot of whiskey, but what I will tend to drink is either a wheat whiskey or a wheated bourbon. I will also drink, you know, some bourbons which have rye as a secondary ingredient, but not a whole lot of rye, and I think on this occasion that's actually the right choice. Because the balance between the rye and kind of the sweetness of the Benedictine, they do, I don't know that I would enjoy either one a whole lot by itself, but they balance each other out pretty nicely. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, and I think with this amount of Benedictine, and a half ounce per drink doesn't sound like a lot, but this is like, it's not Jaeger strong, but it is an assertive and sweet thing. Um, yeah, I think you want something like a rye. You want a very assertive. If you're going to do bourbon, do something high proof and high rye. You talked about old granddad bottled and bond. I might even go for old granddad 114 proof just to be a little more punchy. Um, I don't know that I've ever even seen old granddad 114. They have it at the liquor store by your house and it is, it is also a tremendous value pick. I will say that if you like Benedictine, but you don't want to do rye, occasionally I will make an old fashioned, but instead of using simple syrup, I'll just use a bar spoon of Benedictine as my sweetener. Uh, and, and so if you wanted to do this with a softer whiskey with, you know, 
uh, a wheat bourbon, maybe even an Irish, just cut back on the amount of Benedictine and, and go for that. I haven't tried that with an aged rum. You can definitely do Benedictine with brandy. In fact, B&B, you could buy it at the liquor store already blended for you. I don't know about the quality of the brandy in that, but Benedictine, nice little ingredient. And since you like this, somewhere down the road, we'll revisit this ingredient in some other cocktails. I like it. What I think I may do is appropriate just a little bit more of your Benedictine before you leave Dine Drink Travel World Headquarters later tonight so I can try it with um, an actual bourbon as opposed to this rye. And I think I'm doing the Old Grandad Bonded, just like you said. Yeah. Uh, As a matter of fact, there's not much left in that bottle. So that is now your bottle because it turns out I have another one at home. Outstanding. I thank you, sir. Because I do like this stuff. Okay, well, let's get to our main topic today, which is uh, the Formula One in Vegas recap from two schmucks who didn't go. So uh, I thought the way we'd play this out is we would uh, we would look at some upside downside, and this is all secondhand. We're getting all of this from other people who you probably should listen to and follow instead of us, but don't turn off this podcast. We need all the listeners we can get. So just to think about some of the upsides and downsides, and then we'll get down to our opinion whether we're sorry we didn't go, would we ever go, would this ever be for us? So let's start with upside number one. So there were, depending on estimates and, you know, who, who knows what you can believe from uh, event organizers, but there were at least 100,000 spectators each night out on the strip and somewhere in the ballpark of 140 to 160,000 visitors in town for the race, right? So it did draw a crowd. That's an upside. So the downside, though, is that Vegas can pretty routinely draw a crowd. Um, I think they can accommodate something like 350,000 visitors. Jonathan Jossel from the Plaza downtown, who runs the, or is, I guess, the main contributor to the On the Corner of Main Street podcast, which is fantastic, said that they had their worst occupancy weekend of the year, and other downtown and off-strip properties were the same. Even some of the strip locations weren't completely sold out, which you and I noted by the declining prices. So sure, it brought a lot of visitors to town, but because of the enormous hassle it caused, it chased a lot of other visitors away. And I don't know whether or not that's really worth it for most of the hotels in Vegas, unless you're the Bellagio or somebody who is directly there on the race path. So uh, uh, we got that information from, uh, they released a snippet of the upcoming November 30th episode of On the Corner of Main Street. And if you like Vegas podcasts, and if you're listening to this one, you probably do. That full episode drops on November 30th. I can't wait to hear everything Jonathan Jossel has to say. But yeah, if the notion of a big event like this is it was going to be good for all of the operators in the Valley that doesn't seem to be the case this year. Uh, the 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 properties on the strip may have done well, even if they weren't fully booked. They were charging premium prices. I don't know how many rooms they had to sell at what rate to make good money. But even if they did okay, it sounds like some of the off-strip properties uh, definitely did not have a good week. No, they did not. But there's bound to be another upside. What else? What what other good news do we have out of this, John? So if you if you follow all the social media posts and the influencers, uh, the 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 venues for watching this thing looked fantastic. Uh, your favorite YouTuber Norma Yelly had uh, she was there for the Friday night portion, which I guess was the qualifier. Uh, and her video for that, what well, like very clearly the food and the atmosphere great experience for the people who were uh, who were ticket holders in the event venues 
But those tickets, so the downside is those tickets were super expensive. And if you didn't have one, again, this wound up being a net negative, I think, for a lot of the rest of Vegas. Um, Al Mancini of Neo Feast for Food and the Food and No, loading. Neon Feast. I'd neon love Feast. To, My, no, that, i got to put was, an N in the script. That's me. Uh, it's all good. Or the Food and Loathing podcast said a place called Esther's Kitchen wasn't that dead on Saturday, but had several open tables, which isn't what you normally expect of a premier location on a Saturday night. Um, Scott with Vital Vegas posted an empty Carnival Court bar. There's you, you can see all over other social media posts showing slow restaurants and bars around the valley. And y'all, if it's just a routine, regular Saturday night in Vegas, those places are full. It yeah. looks to me like the Formula One race took some visitors away from a lot of other locations in Vegas. Yeah, it seems to be that way. And, uh, you know, going back to Jonathan Jossel's comments, he said that some of his regulars said they were actively avoiding Vegas. Uh, places like Esther's Kitchen uh, in the Arts District, and it's on my bucket list of restaurants I've got to get to in Vegas. Italian joint, it's big with locals, but as the Arts District has started to boom as a tourist area, it's one of those places that... It gets a combination of local and tourist traffic. So when you start seeing vacant tables there on a weekend, that, that's a sign that either the locals are staying away or there's just no tourists in the arts district or downtown, or at least not enough tourists to sell the place out. Yeah. So um, so far, it's mostly sounding like, the, the. I mean, it's a good deal if you're there, but not as much of a good deal if you're not. Um. What sorts of pictures are you seeing, though, from people who were Formula One ticket holders? So all the tickets and, and Instagram posts and all of that of people who actually had tickets to the venue, there were, you know, big raves on the quality of the hospitality. They were treated like kings and queens. Of course, some of them paid a king's ransom to be there unless you happen to get a comp to pass, which uh, you have to have a podcast with way more listeners than us to get one of those things. Um, so it does sound like... F1 delivered on what they promised, which is if you are uh, well-heeled, as they may say, if you have plenty of money and you bought your way in, you got value for your money, or at least you got what you thought you were going to get, that it was a very well-run event for those that were ticketed. So if that's the upside, though, the downside is if you didn't have a ticket, the Vegas experience became demonstrably worse. I've seen social media posts and videos of people just walking across those bridges across Las Vegas Boulevard who were being hassled by police, told to move along, told they weren't allowed to try to peek through gaps in the plywood to see even a bit of the race, which I think is a horrible image for the city of Las Vegas overall. These are just people going from one place to another who were being hassled for not having one of the $1,500 tickets. Yeah, and, and, and that really bothered me. I mean, just to think that, uh, you know, those pedestrian, vis you know, you, you had limited access anyway. If somebody caught a glimpse of some cars going by at ridiculous speed for half a second, yeah, it's not the end of the world. Some of the security guards were extremely aggressive. And uh, I don't know that you want that kind of aggressive, non-police, rent-a-cop activity in a city where people are overserved, I'm kind of amazed there weren't more issues with that. Um, younger me with a few too many drinks probably would have got into trouble if somebody had gotten in my face the way some of these guys were getting in other people's faces. I've mellowed in my old age, thankfully. But yeah, uh, and, and not only that, but there was a story that broke today on uh, the Fox station out of Las Vegas that now the county commissioners in Clark County are thinking about putting in local laws 
that they can keep people moving on those bridges. So it could conceivably be against the law to stand in the middle of that bridge and snap a picture of the strip. And it just seems like they're doing this to placate Formula One in a way that I don't think is very good for Vegas. No, I think they're paying way too much attention to essentially one of their conventions in town. It would be like if they gave so much preference to the Consumer Electronics Convention that anybody else who was there in January couldn't stop and take pictures. Like, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And I think on balance, my take on whether or not I wish I had been there is absolutely not. Now, if I had super money and could go to some of the high-end parties and all that, I mean, that would have been great. But you can create very similar experiences in Vegas for a lot less money than that. So unless high-performance car driving just happens to be your super particular thing, then no, absolutely not. And I don't want the jacked-up traffic that's been a problem on the Las Vegas Strip for months and months now. And frankly, I don't want to be around that many people who are just that full of themselves, the security guards waving power or the people who want to tell you how much money they spent on their tickets or whatever. My exception to this rule is I can imagine a world where I go in next year, but make this a trip I make to downtown, right? Like, you know, maybe I go up and down Fremont Street when there's absolutely nothing going on. But no, I don't, I absolutely just, I don't have an interest in participating in that. How about you, John? So that was my initial thought. But then I really got into my, the core thing I love about Vegas. And I still think there's a chance. Obviously, I'm glad I didn't go this year. Because I, I like you, I don't have the pockets like, you know, we, 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 you know, we call you the high roller of the high planes, but you don't roll high enough for this particular event. And I call myself the baller on a budget for a reason. I do have a budget. And that to me is the missed opportunity here. And, and something I think they still have time to fix if they want to. Um, the, the glory of Las Vegas is that a working stiff from a blue collar background who, who has made a little bit of money, not a lot of money, not 1% money, not even 10% money. But if you, if you can rise to above average in the American middle class, you can afford to go to Vegas. Oh, absolutely. And you can, you yeah. can afford to go to Vegas and have a phenomenal time. Even if, if you're an economic bracket or two below that, you're having That's different true. experiences, but I've got friends who do that all the time. And Vegas is designed to be the holodeck for just about anybody who wants to show up. You probably don't want to go on a $20 a day budget, but for not much money, you can go and have a fantastic time. And like I pointed to earlier, if you do want to feel, do what I'm doing, feel like you're having a super premium experience, you can do that for a lot less money than it would cost really anywhere else that I can think of. Which is exactly the missed opportunity. So one of those things that I love about Vegas is you can go on a budget and, and plan one or two high-end experiences and then the rest of the time stay in your budget. And I cannot afford to take a hop, skip, and jump through Europe. I cannot go see the canals in Venice and then catch a train and, and see the Eiffel Tower the next day and then jump a flight and go to Cairo and see a pyramid. I can walk the Las Vegas Strip. And, and I think that the same thing holds true. I am never going uh, to go to Monaco for an F1 street race in Europe. I, yeah. I, I, that's not happening. Even no. when I finally get to go to Europe, that, that's not it. If they could find some way, even if you ran an extra night of F1 where it was like, I don't know, the old timers driving with restrictor plates slower. <laughs> 
uh, where where the hoi polloi could get down and and you know see the the paddock and do some other stuff. Like find a way for the average American who's never going to be a European jet setter to get a little taste of that at a dollar amount we can wrap our heads around the day before or the day after the wealthiest of the wealthy are having their their moment well, to me that's vegas yeah. to me that's that's what you ought to do have a party in a reception room at one of the hotels where okay you can't afford a 1500 dollar ticket but you pay a hundred bucks and we're going to have a reception inside of a ballroom at the bellagio with some nice snacks or something or yeah. at the bare minimum just don't mess it up for the people who were there, had no idea Formula One was in town. They just wanted to play some blackjack and maybe don't yell at them because they slow down because they're crossing the strip. Yeah. And, and I think I think that was an opportunity, you know, for pedestrians to catch a glimpse of the cars going underneath them on the pedestrian bridges. Yeah. Not the end of the world. Yeah. Not. Yeah. And, and I think they I think there's a chance there's two more years of this for sure, up to nine more years if they extend. I I think there's a version of this they could attract me to. It wasn't this year's event, but I'm not going to say I would never go. Actually, I think there's a part of me that would love to say I've done the Formula One thing, but not at those prices and not when it's hurting some places I like very much in Vegas to do it the way they did it. No, but then again, I suspect that over the next couple of years, we'll start to see some pressure because the hotels which are off the strip or the hotels which are downtown get a vote in the economic life of Vegas. And if their business is starting to hurt badly enough for long enough, then they'll start to demand something else. And who knows? There may be opportunities there. But is there other? what other news is going on in Vegas, John? So uh, I just pulled a few things off of Vital Vegas, which again is, is Scott, everybody's favorite uh, Twitter user, X user, whatever you want to call them. Uh, these came off his blog, a couple of opening and closings. So one of them he hinted at months ago, and it's officially official. Uh, there's going to be a second Gordon Ramsay burger. Of course, the first location is at Paris. I happen to love that place. I'm not big on celebrity chefs. That burger is amazing. Well, now they're going to throw one into Flamingo Vanderpump. They run all those she, she bars that I haven't been to, but the next trip with my wife, she wants to check out some of those. They're going to do a pink themed lounge. It's the Flamingo run by Vanderpump. And we've talked about a few episodes ago, the Cuban restaurant, I believe Havana 1957 that's going in there. So, you and I have never said a lot of nice things about Flamingo. We definitely did not have a good experience at Bugsy and Meyer. But what do you think with these moves? Is is the Flamingo getting more interesting? It may be. And I thought that the Flamingo was scheduled, like Caesars was scheduled to sell it off. And it sounds to me like that's apparently not going to happen. So they finally decided to start investing some money in it or alternatively you know, these other restaurants are willing to come into it now that the ownership position seems a little bit more settled. But yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to go give the Flamingo a shot, particularly if there's a fun new bar to drink at. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's an interesting place. A couple of closings. One is for the show Opium at the Cosmo. Now, uh, I talked about my wife and I went to Super Frico and we didn't catch the show this summer. And had decided we were going to catch the show later. Well, it closes on New Year's Eve. And I don't think she and I are going to get to go back to Vegas before then. So, looks like we missed our shot. So, if you're a fan of uh, Spiegel World, Spiegel World, whatever, and you want to catch Opium before it goes, you need to go do that. The good news is Super Frico is sticking around. Well, that is good news because... 
you actually had me sold. I want to try that place. Yeah. So it, it's phenomenal pizza. It, it's definitely higher end. Uh, yeah. Super Frico's great. Glad it's staying. The other thing that's closing, and I'm really disappointed by this, at the Grand Canal shops at the Venetian, especially around the St. Mark's Square area. They have their Streetmosphere show where they have all these performers out there, human statues, people just randomly breaking into opera. Uh, They're canceling that and they're taking away one of the free shows in Vegas. And I get it. It's not a revenue generator directly. On the other hand, you know, there have been times my wife and I have gone to get coffee, drinks, gelato, lunch, whatever, because we wanted to catch that. So that gives me less of a reason to walk through the Grand Canal shops. So you've got an analytic problem, right? Because you know that I'm going to spend if if you are if you are the Grand Canal shops, if you're the Venetian, you know you're spending X to pay those performers, and you can calculate how much Y is, i.e. the space that you're dedicating to those performers that could be used to something else. And you can't calculate precisely how much income you're generating. And the lazy thing to do is just to assume that it's zero income but it's not because it's got people coming in and i mean when you've got something like a the former pirate show at the treasure island or the mirage volcano which is turning into a giant poop emoji or the the fountains at bellagio or the streetmosphere there at the grand canal shops i think that helps everybody and it makes me sad to see a lot of those free attractions go because i think they do a they're fun and b i think they do generate some money it's just, it's hard to measure where that money is. Yeah, and, and I, I will tell you point blank that if, if if without that, Grand Canal is like a sad version of the forum shops at Caesars. It's not the best shopping experience on the Strip. Fashion Show Mall is better. The Caesars Forum is better. The shops at Crystal, very high end, very lovely. It's small. To me, the appeal of the Grand Canal, again, Going back to one of the things about Vegas is I can have this experience I can't otherwise afford. It's a lovely afternoon to stroll through there and go have your lunch, go grab an afternoon cocktail, get a gelato, whatever, and do a little shopping and buy some things you might not have otherwise bought. And if you take those performers away, it's just a mall. It really is. But instead of talking about the sad news of the stuff which is closing in Vegas, Let's talk about something which makes me happy, which is baseball. Okay, let's talk baseball. So I think I've decided, my wife is from Houston. She told me years and years ago that we were going to be Houston sports fans in this house. And I said, yes, ma'am. And I think I'm about to transfer my allegiance to the A's once they move to Vegas. Because I'll see their games a couple times a summer. And because we live in the town with their double-A affiliate, So whatever, I think that becomes my baseball team, and Major League Baseball owners did vote unanimously last week to allow the move. Now, that was almost a foregone conclusion because Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, works for the owners, and he wouldn't have been in favor of this if he didn't have at least a tacit okay from them. So cool, that's progress, but that's still not the same thing as done. Well, that's true, and I'm going to jump in real quick. I'm really now torn on my baseball affiliation because several months ago, I, on this very podcast, bemoaned the state of my Texas Rangers, unaware that they'd gotten better because I don't get to watch their games weekend, day in and day out because uh, Bally Sports doesn't play well with streamers and I cut the cord. I am not going back to cable just to please Bally Sports and I'm not paying $20 a month just for Bally Sports. So I didn't realize that my Rangers 
didn't suck anymore until we got to playoff baseball. Um, your Rangers do suck because Garcia was not hit by an intentional pitch. And he cried like a little schoolgirl when he got hit by a pitch in the eighth inning of a game five that, of course, Dusty Baker didn't call. So, I, you know what? You need to be the fan of a better team than the Rangers. Uh, my team won the World Series, and yours did not this uh, year. That's Deal because my team is in Oakland, and they had like three fans all year. Yeah. Well, at any rate, it's very hard for me to give up my allegiance to the Rangers because my complaints about the Rangers have diminished because they are bringing in talent and spending money and doing good things on the field. And I, I, I feel like I can't dive out on a team I've rooted for my whole darn life when they're actually trying. That said, even if I'm not an A's fan, yeah, I want to see baseball in Vegas. And uh, the Rangers will have to play the A's sometime. And uh, I'll go out for that. So let's talk about when that's going to happen. Oakland is committed to stay. The A's are committed to staying in Oakland through 2024 when their lease expires. The new stadium stadium is theoretically projected for 2028, and the good news is no construction project has ever ever run late ever in Vegas, especially right? in Vegas. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, you know, it's not like Fountain Blue has taken 20 years. Yeah, no, no that never <laughs> happens. So what that means is you've got at least three years in the middle where we don't know where the A's are going to play, and you've seen a whole lot of things about maybe they play in the Aviator Stadium, the AAA Stadium. But they could be there as soon at somewhere in Vegas as soon as the 2025 season. Here's the problem, and we reported on this several episodes ago. But John Fisher, the owner of the A's, is still struggling to get private financing, um, and the private financing is just going to be more expensive than conventional bank financing. So it's still not a done deal. I suspect it happens, but I am shocked that he still doesn't have the money to do it. I will say, for those of you who are fans of that team whose players cry when they get hit by baseballs, the um, A's president, Dave Kuval, talked to the Las Vegas Review-Journal, and the design they have in mind for the new Las Vegas ballpark is drawing its inspiration from Globe Life Field in Texas. Now, there's a couple of problems. One, Globe Life Field is beautiful on the inside, looks not great on the outside, and this is designed to be an attractive centerpiece from the outside. The bigger problem is a technical one. The A's have nine acres to build on on the Tropicana site. The Rangers had 13, so you've got to figure out a way to squinch it all together, and I don't know how they do that. But the good news is that the move is fully approved. It is going forward now. Um, we just we don't know some of the details, like exactly when they start, where they'll be playing 25, 26, and 27, and how they're going to make their preferred stadium design work given that they don't have the space for it. Yeah, there, there's a lot of questions there to work out. And I'm still not convinced that the that uh, the TROP is the right location for that. Although the TROP, as we've already covered in previous episodes, has announced their closing. Uh, although they do intend to have, and, and it's a small footprint, they do intend to have some kind of resort and casino around the stadium or attached to the stadium. So we're talking about putting a whole lot of things in a very little space, and you're kind of limited how tall you can go because, you know, there's, there's there's that whole airport not that far away. I still think that location between the Rio and Caesars seems a lot smarter to me. I don't know. I really like the Tropicana location because there are so, and this is, you know, it's it's about me, right? Um, as as all good and right things should be, but there are so many hotels that I like that are walking distance oh, yeah. away from there. Like I can walk from the MGM or the New York, New York, or from the Luxor, or Lord forbid, from the Dirty Castle. 
Well, I, yeah, because I think your your pathway is you go from New York, New York over to the outside of the Dirty Castle and across over that Skybridge. But yeah, uh, as a huge fan of New York, New York and Park MGM, that that combination of MGM based properties, uh, that's that's easy for me to have that at Tropicana. I don't care for the MGM Grand as much as you do, but again, it's right next door. Uh, then again, so is Top Golf, and that's a five day hike. Um, I didn't know that you had to pack uh, beef jerky and a gallon of drinking water to get from uh, the MGM Grand to Top Golf, which claims to be on its premises. Uh, <laughs> but I leave that aside. You can even catch the tram up from Mandalay Bay, so you can have the ultimate summer getaway where you have access to that pool, and you're going to go catch baseball. Oh gosh! So yeah. go watch an afternoon baseball game, then catch the tram back, um, spend like an evening pool session or something. Yeah, no, that is that is yeah. a great day. And, and you know, when you get back to financing, if I'm MGM, I'm fine. I'm twisting somebody's arm to hey, go go give these suckers money because that to me is a revenue driver for MGM, and that is MGM's end of the strip. Right. I don't so, care that Tropicana is still going to be there and Bally's gets a cut. Let's be honest, that is MGM land down there, and this will make them all the money. It will, John. Can I put in a plug for one last thing before we start to sign we up? have plenty of time? So. Listeners, um, if you check us out on our social media channels and on our Facebook channel, I've got a trip to Dublin, Ireland coming up in February. I hear that they have Irish pubs in Dublin. We may wind up doing a special episode of this podcast about me going to pubs in Dublin, but at the very least on our social media channels, look forward to that. I promise I will show you some good spots to go. That actually sounds really good. I know both of us are in the middle of a Vegas dry spell. My next trip is not until March. I don't think you have one on the books yet. Uh, but, you know, who knows? There might be those opportunities that pop up because every now that I get an offer in my email that tempts me and I'm going to have some vacation days I have to burn up. But, uh, yeah, in the meantime, we'll try to keep our feeds alive and kicking with some various things out there. Outstanding. All right. Well, I think that about does it for this episode. We're going to get in at least two more episodes uh, to close out 2023, including some best of uh, perspectives of what we enjoyed most in this past year. Bill, tell everybody about those social media outlets where they can find us. You can find us on Dine Drink Vegas at Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, and on, I think, I've even got a page on Thread, so go look for us there. Yeah, we're just about everywhere. Also on Twitter, I am Dine Drink John, and I would love to interact with you. And please remember to like, subscribe, and we need listeners. Share this with friends. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in this time. We'll catch you next time, and thanks for traveling with us.